The FTSE, for example, is trading at about the same level as it was 18 years ago, and it's nearly 10% below its high peak. Yet in the same period, executive pay has more than trebled, and there is an irrational, unhealthy and growing gap between what these companies pay their workers and what they pay their bosses. You're listening to The Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everybody. It's just about that time of year again, the time when companies around the world reflect and report on the past and when their owners have a chance to influence their future. For many companies and their shareholders, one issue will dominate the annual general meeting's agenda, executive pay. In our winter edition, IR Magazine surveys the global outlook for AGMs. Later in the program, we'll bring you audio highlights from that report. And we'll take a look at the effect of automated robo-journalism on capital markets. These robotic articles can, in fact, impact the stock market, in particular for thousands of firms who previously didn't get media coverage. But first, here's a look at some of the stories we've been following. When Theresa May took over as UK Prime Minister last summer, she vowed to curb executive management pay. But in November, the government published a green paper outlining proposed reforms, which had been watered down compared with May's earlier statements. Now, two new academic studies may give the UK government pause to ponder. First, Belgian researchers report UK executive pay is Europe's most generous. Their study finds the median British CEO earned more than £6 million last year. That's twice as much as their average counterpart in Germany, the next best-paying country. Meanwhile, a Lancaster University study confirms the disconnect between high executive pay and good performance. The research finds that while compensation grew more than 80% in a decade, performance, as measured by economic returns on invested capital, was less than 1% over the same period. Last year saw shareholders in UK-based firms paying closer attention to executive pay with high-profile revolts in companies such as BP, Shire, and Anglo-American. Now, Royal Bank of Scotland is under fire. More than 160 investors want the beleaguered bank to create a shareholder committee to beef up its corporate governance structure. Shareholders will present the proposal at the bank's AGM in May. They say the move is an attempt to both prevent the mistakes that led up to RBS 2008 government bailout and continued questions around high executive pay. The British government, currently RBS's majority owner, would need to vote for the resolution or abstain in order for it to pass. The bank is worth about 5% what it was a decade ago. Governance change is also afoot in the Netherlands, where some Dutch senior executives earn more than 100 times as much as their average employee. New amendments to the Dutch Corporate Governance Code for listed companies require firms to publish the size of the pay gap between senior staff and shop floor workers. The publication of the pay gap will allow investors, and anyone else, to flag the issue if they feel the gulf is becoming too wide. And finally, 
More institutional investors will be putting their confidence in active management and alternative assets in the coming year. A worldwide survey of 500 investors by French investment house Natixis finds concerns over geopolitical events, the new Trump administration, and the potential for changing interest rates are likely to encourage a portfolio reset. In 2014, the Associated Press began using algorithms to write media articles about U.S. public companies' earnings announcements. These robo-journalism stories synthesize data from firms' press releases, analyst reports, and stock performance. That automation has allowed AP to increase its coverage from roughly 400 announcements per quarter to nearly 5,000 today. And the effect on the previously uncovered company's trading volume around the earnings period has been profound. U.S. researchers say the new exposure has boosted trading an average of about 38%. Ed DeHaan is assistant professor of accounting at the University of Washington. These robotic articles can, in fact, impact the stock market, in particular for thousands of firms who previously didn't get media coverage. We find very compelling evidence that this does motivate trading and uh, improves liquidity, which is a sort of one dimension of market efficiency. We don't find any evidence that it impacts stock returns per se, but liquidity is is a useful end unto itself. For financial market academics, the novel study further erodes the efficient market hypothesis, which is good news for IROs. If you're a strict market efficiency person, there's really not a big role for IR. Yet from a practical perspective, the study's implications are more nuanced. You know, maybe not all firms want the extra visibility. I imagine there's some firms in the sample who might like a quieter life. Managers with bad news to report, or keen to encourage a long-term focus, for instance, might not be entirely thrilled by this new spotlight on earnings. You could imagine, per se, uh, take a cynical view of the world and maybe managers start responding by trying to manage their earnings better, making sure they manage the analyst forecast. One way or another, more eyeballs on earnings means IR departments must alter strategy and gear up for the increased attention. Executive pay, board makeup, and the trend towards virtual-only meetings promise to be major themes in the upcoming AGM season. Freelance journalist Paul Hodgson takes a look at these issues in the current edition of IR Magazine. Our good friend Lori Havelock brings us excerpts. He begins with the USA. Proxy access, the right of shareholders to nominate directors on the company's proxy, is not an issue anywhere else in the world except the US. Quote, we will continue to see proxy access shareholder proposals presented to companies of all sizes in two different scenarios. Companies that don't have a proxy access provision may get proposals asking them to adopt one, and even those companies that already provide proxy access may receive proposals to amend specific features of their proxy access provision, predicts Laura Richmond of the law firm Mayer Brown. 
Quote, the SEC staff position on excluding proxy access proposals from proxy statements as substantially implemented depends on which circumstances involved. She points to the recent H&R Block No Action Letter, where SEC, quote, staff did permit a shareholder proposal requesting specific amendments to a proxy access provision, even though a prior proposal was substantially implemented by the existing bylaw. But when the other major issue of the year is the say-when-on-pay vote... Quote, because companies must conduct an advisory vote on the frequency of the say-on-pay vote at least every six years, many will need to place what are often called say-when-on-pay resolutions on their ballots in 2017, explains Richmond. Companies have to ask their shareholders as a technical matter whether they want the say-on-pay vote to occur every one, two or three years, even if they currently hold annual say-on-pay votes. Quote, many are likely to ask, well, what about the pay ratio? While SEC rules do not require companies to disclose the worker and CEO pay ratio until 2018 proxy statements, companies would do well to be ahead of the game. Companies should be preparing for it now, so they will have their systems in place to calculate the ratio in compliance with the rule when it is needed. Also, the board of directors, the compensation committee and management may all find it useful to have a preview of what the ratio is likely to be. Virtual AGMs have raised their head not only in the US, but also in the UK. Quote, Some virtual meetings are hybrids, allowing both in-person attendance and virtual attendance, says Richmond. Though there have been some virtual-only meetings, the hybrid number has been growing over the last few years. She adds that companies say virtual meetings have increased shareholder attendance because shareholders from around the world can attend, though there have been some investor objections. According to Wilma Ricks, senior associate with law firm Linklaters, the UK AGM season could be all about pay and virtual meetings too. Prime Minister Theresa May has indicated that she will be looking at income inequality, pay disclosure and a number of other corporate governance issues, though few of those will be in place for 2017. But the next binding vote on pay policy can certainly be expected next year. Quote, both investors and companies are bound to be particularly focused on pay next year, as 2017 marks the second time a binding vote on the company's remuneration policy needs to be put to shareholders, explains Ricks. If companies can't get shareholders to agree to the pay proposals put to the AGM, they will have to keep paying the directors under their previously approved policies or call an extraordinary meeting to approve the revised proposals. Designer footwear company Jimmy Choo held the first virtual AGM in the UK this year, having changed its Articles of Association in 2015 to make this possible. Quote, Up to now, while a number of companies have been happy to provide AGM webcasts, virtual-only AGMs have been avoided because of the need to maintain communications between the participants during the meeting, says Ricks. The Jimmy Choo meeting was well attended, apparently, but there is not yet a clear consensus from investors about whether they like the idea. There is still a strong feeling that directors should be able to be challenged in an actual meeting. In Europe, there is likely to be a continued focus on pay in France, following changes to the governance code that gives shareholders more power and requires boards to react quickly if they receive a negative vote. In Germany, on the other hand, most shareholders are likely to be focused on problems at Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen. Sarah Wilson, chief executive of proxy advisory firm Manifest, commenting on the outlook for both the UK and the EU, agrees that pay will be a focus. Quote, remuneration will continue to dominate the headlines as historic compensation plans play out at stratospheric levels, she says. But a clear focus on board competence and diversity, in all its forms, not just gender, is becoming increasingly urgent.
In Australia, the AGM season has already kicked off, and it is already all about pay. Last year, more than 100 ASX-listed companies earned a first strike, or an against vote of more than 25%, against their remuneration reports. Shareholder votes on remuneration reports are non-binding, but two strikes, two consecutive years where more than a quarter of votes go against the report, can trigger a vote against re-electing a company's board. The Australian Shareholders Association and several large local and international asset managers, including State Street Global Advisors in the US, have signalled their dissatisfaction with the way many Australian companies have shifted incentives towards short-term bonuses that are easier to earn and less related to long-term shareholder value. Proxy advisory firms are also focusing on the performance of non-executive directors in Australia, many of whom are considered to sit on too many boards and are more likely to recommend against re-election, even without a second strike. It is likely to be a stormy season and presages an even stormier one in 2017. In the Far East, investors will closely follow any repercussions from the Samsung Emergency General Meeting in October this year, and not just because of the massive recall of the company's flagship new phone, the Samsung 7. Lee Jae-yong, son of Lee Kun-hee, the current chairman, is due to be elected to the board. At the same time as this appointment that some might term controversial, New York-based fund manager Elliott Management, which was already on record for criticising an overly complex reorganisation plan at Samsung last year, is now calling for the breakup of the company. Elsewhere, activist fund manager Lee Wunil of Zebra Investment Management is taking action against a number of other South Korean family-controlled conglomerates, or Kaibol, and calling for better corporate governance. In Japan, the Government Pension Investment Fund, or GPIF, the world's largest pension fund, is also set to take a more active approach in the 2017 season, having set up a stewardship and ESG division on October the 1st this year. Signaling that it will be taking its stewardship role more seriously in future, the GPIF will be more actively supporting Japan's stewardship code, which was first codified in 2014. You'll find the full report in text and audio at irmagazine.com. And that's all for your ticker podcast this week. Join us online again later this month for the next in IR Magazine's popular webinar series. If you've got questions on what Mifid 2 means for IR, and I bet you do, here's your chance to put them to a panel of experts. That's Tuesday, January 31st program begins at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Sign up at irmagazine.com or Bright Talk. And there's still time to book your seat for the 2017 IR Magazine Awards Canada. It's the Canadian IR community's largest annual gathering and promises to be an unforgettable evening of celebration and networking for IROs along with their senior managements, advisors, and analysts. This year's venue is once again Toronto's historic Carlou event space. If you dig amazing art modern architecture, you'll love it. Festivities kick off with cocktails in the Round Room, February 2nd at 6pm. Which is where you'll find me. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.